Are you ready? Today's episode of Something to Wrestle With, Bruce Pritchard, is brought to you by our friends at Fight.tv. I'm telling you, the Fight app is the place to be, especially Friday, January 4th. You know, here on the show every week, we talk about old school WWE. But what are we watching now? I'll tell you what I'm watching Friday, January 4th. It's New Japan Pro Wrestling's biggest event of the year. Wrestle Kingdom 13, live from the sold-out Tokyo Dome. And now you can watch it on Fight. That's right. This year's Wrestle Kingdom 13 main event is going to feature Kenny Omega defending his IWGP heavyweight title against Tanahashi. Plus, the Intercontinental Champ Chris Jericho is going to defend his strap against Naito. Also in action, Okada, Cody, the Young Bucks, and more. See all four hours of this live action on Friday, January 4th. Do what I'm doing. Go to fight.tv or the fight app, and you can pre-order the wrestling event of the year. It's just four days into the new year, and it's already the event of the year. It's Wrestle Kingdom 13. Start time for all the action is 3 a.m. Eastern, but that's what's great about the fight app. You can watch anytime. What are you waiting for? Download the fight app and pre-order Wrestle Kingdom 13 right now. Welcome to something to wrestle with. Bruce Pritchard. Well, you know. That's not a rib. She pooted. She pooted. What a rib. No, you have a There's no box of gimmicks. Rumor and innuendo. I don't deal in rumor and innuendo. Was he there? I was there. I don't give a shit. I ain't scared of shit. Fuck you. you, Bruce. I love you. Give me double cheeseburger. Double cheese. Double mayo. Double onion, motherfucker. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Something to Wrestle with Bruce Pritchard. Bruce, what's going on, man? How are you? Well, you know what, man? I, I'm not going to lie to you. I've been better, but I'm I'm pretty damn good, all things considered. Yeah, some of our uh, listeners who join us on Patreon were privy to a little behind the scenes of the Pritchard family and the particular challenges that you've been facing and your whole family's had for the last couple of weeks. And prayers for you and the rest of the Pritchard family, but that's not what we're here for, man. We want to have fun today, so we're going to do our best to do that. But first, let's talk a little bit about Rock Bottom, which was uh, last week's episode, and we got a ton of feedback. Lots of uh, people were entertained by that episode. What was the feedback that you got? Damn you, Bruce, for not telling us how tricks are done. I'm sorry. It's still the magician's wrestler's code. There's certain things. There's enough out there. Figure it out if you want to figure it out. You want to spoil the trick. I don't like spoiling the trick. So there you go. We had lots of uh, people hitting us up about some reports about something else to wrestle coming back. Uh, Those reports are premature. Uh, We don't have an official comment uh, right now at this point. It's all rumor and innuendo. But of course, Bruce and I would like to come back. But when there is some official news, the place to find it is going to be here on the show or on one of our social media handles at Pritchard show on Twitter. He is of course at Bruce Pritchard. And I am at Hey, Hey, it's Conrad. And I guess we need to, uh, drop some more news. This sort of slipped out this week. We're coming to San Diego, man. We've never been to San Diego and we're going to be at the world famous Madhouse comedy club on Saturday, January 26th. That's the day before the Royal rumble. We've had lots of requests to be in San Diego, and now it's finally happening. Tickets are on sale right now at BrucePritchard.com. And then, Bruce, you're actually going to uh, start the year off right, making an appearance on January 5th 
with your old pal, Eric Bischoff, right? Uh, not only Eric Bischoff, man, there's going to be a whole group of us, including my old buddy, Ted DiBiase, Bushwhacker Luke, the uh, Nasty Boys, Demolition. And we're all going to be at Fitterman Sports in Baybrook Mall on Saturday, January 5th for an autograph signing. So come on out, meet us, say hello, and get some pictures and get some autographs and get to meet some of the boys and, and a lot more. I think Tito Santana, Greg Valentine, a lot of guys are going to be there. Don't miss us on January 19th at uh, the Colorado Spring Show. We're going to be live, and you can get your tickets right now at BrucePritchard.com. Of course, the Royal Rumble wouldn't be the Royal Rumble without something to wrestle. We're going to be in Phoenix that day as well. Plus, we've got a super show coming up with Eric. It's going to be Bruce, Eric, and myself on March 1st at the Mohegan Sun right there in Connecticut. Our very first visit to Connecticut. So lots of firsts. Never done a show in San Diego or Colorado or Phoenix or Connecticut. And how about this for a first? You and you alone are going to Australia. Well, I'm looking forward to it. My first time in Australia and coming in March. So March 22nd, Sydney. I will be there for a solo tour. March 23rd, Melbourne. And March 24th, Brisbane, Australia. So I am looking forward to that. And hopefully you guys come on out and support this. And next time we're going to get Conrad way across the pond on that 17 hour flight to come on down and see everybody down under in Australia. So come on out and see me the latter part of March, man. I'm looking forward to it. And you get all your tickets over at BrucePritchard.com. Lots of requests this week. Are you guys coming to Houston? Are you guys coming to Cleveland? Because that pay-per-view calendar rolled out. I can report that myself and Mr. Jeff Jones are in communication with venues in both towns. We hope to have those deals finalized in the next week or two. Obviously the holiday is going to make it difficult for some people to return emails the way we might normally do. So that may be delayed a little bit, but Cleveland, Houston, we're coming your way. Stay tuned to BrucePritchard.com. And of course, follow us on social media. If you haven't already at Pritchard show on Twitter and Instagram, of course, facebook.com forward slash something to wrestle enough of the plugs, man. Let's talk about why we're here. We're going to get in our way back machine and we're going to go to December 22nd. So tomorrow will be the anniversary of this episode of Ross, December 22nd from 1997. And we're doing this a little different this week. We want you to do a watch along. Uh, so what that requires is you go to the WWE network, you fire up your raw replays, raw number 239, December 22nd, 1997 is where you want to be. And uh, Bruce, you'll give us a countdown and we'll start at 0.00. A little disclaimer would have already played. And when Bruce says play, we'll get going. All right, everybody. Well, then here we go. Three, two, one, play. And the beautiful, wonderful WWF uh, Germany. And over 500,000. I don't know what the hell it is, but the signature piece should be playing now. The number one leader, the World Wrestling Federation. I like that it's still got the old blue and yellow logo, but I hated that signature open. Oh my God. So did I. And, and that blue and yellow logo was from the, uh, the new generation or whatever it was. Yeah. It definitely feels like it's from another era. And we're seeing a highlight package here of the Legion of doom throughout their entire career here in the WWF, uh, in, including some clips from very recently where we saw them beat the Godwins and become tag champs for the first time in many years. And a lot of people would say that this is, um, LOD with their better days in the rearview mirror, but n now we're seeing the guys sort of come apart and the new age outlaws are involved and maybe humiliating the guys. 
with a little ether action, uh, <laughs> which is pretty hilarious when you think about it. I mean, that's right out of a movie. Well, you got to love the ether and, and Jr. It's it just absolutely humiliating to, to shave a man's his, his mohawk to where he's actually bald. It's just humiliating. And there's a woman hitting a man below the belt and then putting him through a table. Humiliate. By the way, it's great. The, your boy, uh, first of all, shaving the road warrior hairdo off of Hawk. That was cool. But then like the 17 man power bomb on animal through the table An animal at the time is still probably uh, basking in the glow of the Lloyd's of London settlement, which we've comically made fun of here for a long time <laughs> where you said, well, the provision was it's okay for him to wrestle because he's not in a singles match. He's in a tag match and that's different. Yeah, exactly. It is amazing. It I love amazing. this open here. When did you guys shoot this and, and who would have been involved in this opening? Matt, you know, so much of this was shot through different scenes and different sequences that David Sahadi shot in this really cool old warehouse outside of Bridgeport, Connecticut. And he had guys in there for different opens and different scenes, but he brought everybody through there with the vision of one day using all of that footage, which is what we did for Raw's War and the War Zone. So I, it was a pretty damn cool concept. And David always had this vision of whenever he shot stuff, how many uses he could get out of something. So this is a fun open here. You guys are, um, obviously in the Christmas spirit, you've got the wreath around the WWF scratch logo in the bottom left, and you're firing off some snow into the crowd. It's, it's snowing. Yeah. Indoors. Yeah. It's an interesting look and it's an interesting time in the business. And that's one of the things we're going to talk about today, because you guys are even trying to, you know, not only are you really doubling down on, I guess, sort of the raunch, the Jerry Springer as Meltzer would refer to it, but you are trying to get ahead of a major news story that supposedly is going to highlight all the bad stuff uh, that's going on on WWF TV. So you even make it clear that the second hour will be where some of the more risque stuff happens, not the first hour. That's an interesting strategy. Is it not? Yeah. You know, it was look, the, the haters were going to hate and the people that loved it, were going to love it. So it, it, we basically did it. The real reason that we did the show into two hours was for the ratings and you get two shows with two ratings um, versus one show. And, and if your second hour was better or worse, it brings the numbers down. Um, but it was an attempt to, you got two shows now it's better than one. And as you can see here, we toned it down an awful lot. It was actually going to be censorship in the first hour of raw. Yeah. And that's sort of preemptive. You know, the week before this is where the Vince McMahon taped promo aired, where he said, you know, we're not going to insult your intelligence and it's not going to be good guys versus bad guys. There's going to be lots of shades of gray. And he's saying that it's sports entertainment and he's comparing it to other television shows as opposed to sports. And he's not exactly saying so, but you'd certainly get the impression that this is done to sort of address whatever criticism is coming their way preemptively. And, you know, it's interesting that that's the strategy last week, but now this week we open the show with two dudes in bathrobes. Well, they're fully covered. Yeah. For now. 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, of course they're 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 fully covered, and they're letting everyone know that they have nothing but but gifts and joy to bring them. And this is my favorite version of China, by the way. This is my favorite version of Shawn Michaels. I really do think if you go from like the summer um, of of 1997 up until WrestleMania 14, I think it's one of the best individual stretches that a performer has had just his swagger, his demeanor, his matches, his promos. It's my absolute favorite Shawn Michaels. Yeah, he was, he was cocksure and full of himself. And, and, uh, now, uh, we are, uh, talking, uh, about, uh, the, uh, Legion of, uh, doom. Yeah. It was just riveting and talking about, uh, the, the beautiful thing here was, this was during a time the New Age Outlaws were really coming into their own. It was actually Sean's idea to put the New Age Outlaws together and eventually have them be a part of DX, but not right away. So this was just a precursor talking about Legion of Doom, the New Age Outlaws, and being a part of DX, which was, uh, I thought, pretty cool, man. And it was just going back to an old way of planting seeds and letting something take its time. And then you can point back and go, Hey, remember when those guys said that, you know, what's funny is we're only a few weeks into, uh, sort of the reset button for raw, you know, they, they had just a few weeks prior to this, some sort of inside terms thrown out on the show, which was really one of the first times that it happened. Like Mark Miro referred to South and Sears, a jobber and a jabroni. And, um, you know, that's when gold dust flashed vader and i mean there's just lots of silly stuff um and one of the things that is changing here is the announce team too and this feels like something that we haven't really spent a lot of time talking about the first hour was jim ross and jim Cornette, and then the second hour was michael cole and kevin kelly yeah, I think that's the opposite i think corny i think corny and and ross were at the end they did the they did the final hour and then you had Cole and yeah, Kelly right. and those guys for the first hour. Talk to me about, cause I loved Jim Cornette on commentary. It, it, it's sort of not consistent here. He does some, he doesn't others, and he didn't really get a long run. Obviously everybody loves the pairing of Jr. and Jerry Lawler, but why didn't Cornette get a more permanent spot on commentary to Southern bro? To have Jr. and Cornette, you mean? Yes, in the I think to make them palatable, you had to have a, a, a either a New Yorker or a Midwesterner so, to so counteract J- that Southern drawl because people just can't relate to people with a Southern accent. You know what I'm talking about, Conrad? Well, so my question is: so Kentucky was too Southern, so he went with Jerry Lawler from Tennessee instead. Exactly. Okay. He didn't think that he didn't think Law. No, he felt that Lawler did not have a Lawler doesn't really have a Tennessee twang. I think that Jerry it does sound Southern, but I don't know that, that uh, Lawler really has a strong Southern twang accent. My point is, if you tell a good fucking story, who the hell cares what your accent is? So uh, as a reminder here, two weeks prior to this is um, when we saw In Your House, Degeneration X, which we just covered in the archives a couple of weeks ago. And obviously that's when Owen Hart returns. And, and Meltzer would say he returned to a big payday, a big pay raise. And Davey boy Smith is still out. He's had some arthroscopic knee surgery and he wants out of his contract. Ultimately, we know he's going to wind up in WCW 
Jim Neidhart would be offered a contract, but told, Hey, you got to sign it right now. He doesn't do so. So they pull the offer. He's gone to WCW, but, oh, Owen, but Owen Hart is sticking around. Oh, look at this. So whose idea was this to let the guys strip down and get bare assed here? Well, they're not bare assed. Okay. They have thongs on up their assholes. Well, they're not up their assholes and they, they were partially covered. They weren't, they weren't completely, uh, and the sensor makes you just think that that's, that's out there more, but their, their, their crack is covered. It's not in their crack. They had to be inspected before they went out there. This is the first hour after all, by God, this is less risque. Look at the way the people, the people love it. They like seeing their junk out there. What? Uh, you know, that's, what's amazing to me is so many people would be critical of, you know, Joey Ryan or something like that. But here we are 21 years ago and we're opening the show with dudes with their assholes hanging out. Their assholes are not hanging out. They're completely covered. And Sarge is, is making a point of that. Now they're putting their little robes back on. Those are nice robes too, by the way. I tried to snag one of those. What hotel did you steal them from? No, they actually went out and bought the damn things. The, the sunset marquee has the best, you know, of it is, but I, I always liked the bit too with, with Sarge here because Sarge did kind of spit when he talked. So Sean's kind of trying to dodge that spit. So he didn't get one in the eye. I like the old, uh, Sean interview where he puts on the mask that had the windshield wiper. <laughs> yes, that was classic. That you, was, that was good stuff. So here's the, the storyline here is, uh, Sean, you're the European champion, but you're you haven't defended. He's also the world champion, by the way, but you haven't defended that title in over 30 days. And I think Sean corrects him and says something like, well, it's been 60 days, but I've been busy in case you haven't noticed. And so he's going to mandate that he's got to defend that European title tonight here on the show. And we were just asked about this matchup on Twitter a few weeks ago by a listener who says, why does everybody make fun of the finger poke of doom and say how much damage it did, but nobody references this. And my reply was context is King, totally different situation just based on the night before and Starcade and the big payoff or a week before rather and Starcade and the big payoff of the Goldberg streak. And you know, you're promising a main event and that's been promoted and hyped. And this is just the commissioner trying to screw with the badass crew here on the show. And it's an in-show storyline for a secondary title that really has only been around six or eight months anyway. Exactly. And I think that you put that very eloquently is exactly why, why it was different. And it was, yeah, it wasn't the world championship and. And I'll tell you, I liked it. I mean, I, I, I thought the storyline of your opponent will be Hunter Hearst Helmsley and the guys are getting hot about it. That's good stuff. You know, and, I, was, I was thinking about this a minute ago too. Is this the only time that like the little buddy has become the top guy? Like, because well, Triple H is certainly positioned as the, as the little buddy, but now I think people see Triple H as the top guy and Sean as the little buddy, at least the way it's presented on TV. Now, I'm not saying that old school wrestling fans feel that way to me, Sean's, you know, either one a or one B for the greatest wrestler ever. I wholeheartedly agree, but I do think perception wise you're, you're right. And the delivery here with triple H, you know, cutting the promo about it. it's just not fair. It's just not fair. I mean, you know, I, for me to, to go out there and beat Sean tonight, that's just not fair to him because he's, 
<laughs> and the psychology going through this whole thing was perfectly done. And, and it was little nuances that I think made it all throughout the night. And they had a lot of fun with it. And it was, to me, it was fun. It was also a, you're looking at this as the holiday Christmas show where you can have a little more fun. Yeah. I mean, it's fun. You know, you don't want me to ruin Shawn Michaels Christmas and have me beat him right before and break up DX and it's good stuff yeah. here. Exactly. And, and Sean doesn't want to have to break his nose and all that other good shit. So it was, I thought it was, it was nicely done here. Let's run through some other news. I mentioned, you know, a couple of weeks ago prior to this, and they're in Portland. That's the show where gold dust is flashing Vader and uh, Sean's cutting the promo the day after the pay-per-view saying that Owen is a stanky nugget that wouldn't flush and Sable's in a potato sack and reveals a giant uh, or a tiny bikini with some giant, well, you knows uh, the next week in New Hampshire, it's a tape show, but it's the one where Austin threw the intercontinental title off the bridge. So a s string of really memorable shows that I remember like it was yesterday. But one of the things that, um, everybody's still talking about in the business is this whole Bret Hart, Vince McMahon, Montreal screw job, the fallout, why Brett, why, you know, the whole Vince McMahon promo, and it is taking over the business and Brett is not being shy about it. And he's going very, very public and doing lots of interviews and online chats. And we've got highlights here from the wrestling observer of a prodigy interview. I just want to run through with you and get your takeaways. I'm going to do this kind of rapid fire as we see headbanger Mosh and Thrasher head to the ring. Can I do that? Uh, absolutely. Uh, Brett says he thought Jim Neidhart made a mistake in judgment going along with the angles in the final two weeks on the WWF. And he thought that the WWF humiliated Neidhart out of spite against him which he claimed is a bad reflection more on the WWF than anyone else. Your response? I feel it's incorrect. And I think that, you know, Brett kind of looked at everything as no matter what we did was in response to him at that time. He also said that the show, the go home episode of raw on WrestleMania 13, where he was cussing on the air. He says he was misled by the referee and he thought they were off the air. And he said, McMahon didn't set up the situation where he swore. And then he explained to McMahon afterwards that he thought they were off the air and was never reprimanded for it. And McMahon had noted that whenever Brett would complain about the direction of the company that Brett had cussed on this show. Do you remember Brett thinking that he was off the air when that happened? Oh shit. Um, are you okay? Are I you just, alive? I, I, yeah, I just opened up. I was trying to open up a cold, uh, beverage and it just exploded all over me. Pay no attention to me, folks. Sorry. Just talking to uh, the microphone. We can't see the Coca-Cola. I'm sorry. Yeah. The, the Coca-Cola is all over the place now, but it's okay. Uh, you know what? I, I think that Brett, again, when he goes back and revisits some of these things, it's, it's kind of, woe is me. Brett knew exactly what he was doing. And I think it was Brett's idea to kind of have the colorful language on the show and be able to do it like, Oh my God, was he on? Was he not on? That was what Brett was so good at was blurring the line of fantasy and reality. So Brett knew he, yes, he did know. And, and Brett openly participated in it. So for him to then go back and, and criticize for things that Sean was doing and other things, it was Brett was one of the first that came up with a lot of that stuff. 
He also, of course, here said he would not attend a WWF hall of fame banquet. If he were to ever be invited to attend as an inductee, he was anxious to talk to Hulk Hogan after having seen what type of person Vince McMahon really was to get the real story about what happened in 93. He was backpedaling and said, he knows he's going to sound like a hip, a hypocrite, but Ric Flair is one of the greatest performance uh, or performers ever. But he did call, and I think this made me laugh out loud because I couldn't help but think of you. He called Dory Funk Jr. conceivably the greatest worker of all time. Dory is definitely one of the greatest workers of all time, without a doubt. I don't think there's any argument there from anybody. Um, He said that he didn't let his kids watch Raw once uh, Vince McMahon interviewed Melanie Pillman the day after Brian's death. What do you make of that comment? (sighs) Look. Yeah, I mean, again, we're looking at this however many years, 25 years later, 30 years later. And obviously, Brett has changed his tune on, on a lot of different things. I think that, oh, boy, you know, Brett was working. Brett was working. Brett was Brett was solidifying his place at WCW and, and playing the woe is me card and and doing it well. On TV here, the, the Godwins are going straight heel son, just using belts and just taking the headbangers to the woodshed. And we see Henry O sporting the, uh, the rebel flag underneath the, uh, wow. (laughs) How many, how many things in this show do you think that we could chalk up things you wouldn't see in 2018? Yeah, no doubt. Uh, I mean, the list would would be a laundry list of, of things that, and my, how times have changed, but yes, there are so many, as I was watching this earlier, just going, Oh my God, wouldn't do that now. God, I wish you wouldn't have done that then type thing, including several unprotected chair shots to the head of Mick Foley who at this time is dude love. And we're seeing this from two weeks ago, new age outlaws laying waste to dude love. One last thing about this Bret Hart chat. He compared the WWF having his brother Owen do an angle on his final match in the WWF as akin to quote, a pimp forcing someone into prostitution. Your response. Sad. I mean, it, it was just sad. And it was, it was a very bitter Brett at a very bitter and dark time in his life where he wasn't happy with obviously anything that we were doing and wasn't happy with where he was at the time. And it just, uh, yeah, it was just kind of sad. And so- Mick, okay, I'm sorry. And I was going back to the footage. You see Mick Foley here, completely the table. Missed it. Just, well, he didn't really miss it. If you see the bottom leg broke on it, plus they didn't have a table, you know, one of the, uh, it's not a wooden a table. Fiberboard. It's a plastic table. Yeah. It's not a fiberboard table. So it's, uh, I wouldn't want to take that bump million years, but knowing Mick, he probably designed it that way so that he could slide off the damn thing and just break his fall a little bit before he hit the floor. Fuck that. Yeah. So here we go. We're flip-flopping now, instead of having dude love, we've got mankind and a pre-tape backstage. What time of day would you normally shoot these? It would depend. Hell, most of these, we try and get these done about sometime late in the afternoon and once everybody got ready and got ready to go and Vince liked to do a lot of this stuff back at this time, Vince loved to be hands-on and, and get with Mick about what he's talking about because mankind is hurt. But, but 
He's not as bad as Dude Love. Dude Love is injured. You so, know what I just realized? Yeah, but, Your mankind is just Terry Funk and Paul Bear squished together. Well, pretty much. That's exactly who mankind was, though. Well, I, and I think. No, I was thinking of Kane. I was going to say that's probably because he fucked his mom, right? But that was Kane. Well, he he diddled Kane's mom and Undertaker's mom. Yeah. Here's your favorite part. Yeah, this is hilarious. A Raw is War exclusive. <laughs> this has yes. made this made every Christmas WWE Christmas video for 15 years or better, did it not? Absolutely. And the funny part about it is that Steve actually stunned Santa Claus. And I remember when we had uh, Roddy Piper attack Santa Claus when it was Bobby Heenan, how much shit that we went through because people thought that someone was attacking Santa Claus and not Bobby Heenan. And I mean, it was USA, uh, the USA network was up in arms. I can't believe there goes you guys the belt really the threw a belt off the bridge. Well, why not? This is reality, man. This is just a, just a fucking reality show. By the way, Meltzer would even comment as we see Sable here. Um, Meltzer made a comment, which I, uh, I think really just tells you where wrestling was at the time that on a lot of the shows, Sable is getting a bigger pop and a bigger reaction than the undertaker. I would say co comparable to it. Sable, man, Sable is over is Vince Russo would say huge. Who's Santa Claus right here? Don't say Chris Kringle. <laughs> uh, the guy's name was Roy. Um, it was Roy. He was from uh, upstate uh, Massachusetts. Now, you know who the kid is, right? No. Are you serious? You don't know who the kid is. Look at him. I don't know. It's one of the Usos. You know, I was going to say, look, I don't know which, but that's cool that it's an Uso. I had no idea. Yeah. It's, it's one of the Usos. And, and we were looking, looking for a kid to go out and sit on Santa's lap. And uh, I believe they were with uh, Rikishi at the time. And that's one of the Usos. Rikishi may know. have been the Sultan here. Yeah. Well, you know what I mean? Either so. way they're with the Sultan. Yeah. The Sultan's kids, <laughs> but, uh, that's either Jimmy or Jay, but, and the guy, the, the guy that was the Santa Claus, he, he worked in the, in the Northeast and a lot of independence and everything. He also worked, uh, later on is the Mountie. He did the Mountie gimmick in, in the independence in the Northeast as well. Um, Nice guy, real nice guy, hard worker, but uh, Vince just was looking around one day and you could be Santa Claus. Can you take a stunner? And here we go. So Santa was mean to the kid and Austin's here to exact some revenge. Well, because it's not the real Santa Claus. Now, see, that that's, that's the issue here. This is not the real Santa Claus. If it was the real Santa Claus, Steve would never treat him like that which is why Steve had to do the test. Steve had to know if this was the real Santa Claus by asking him if he remembers what the hell he told Santa he wanted when he was six years old and Santa got it wrong because he didn't want no goddamn Barbie doll and no fucking tiddlywinks. Steve just stick them tiddlywinks right up his ass. 
That's so great that this is uh, either Jimmy or Jay's WWE TV debut. Gotta love it. Gotta love it. Even then, he's thinking they're thinking about right now. He's going, well, shit, I could go in there and hit that fucking fat fucker with something. You know he is. Of course. Yeah, but Steve's sizing up uh, Susanna here and going through the whole thing. I'll never forget, uh, we were in like Omaha, Nebraska one time. We landed on a private plane with Hogan, and our limo driver was a part-time Santa. So he comes to pick us up, and he's got like the red, all the red suit and everything. Not a Santa suit, but literally a red suit. He's got the Santa beard and all this stuff. And Hulk gets off the plane. And he starts laughing like, <laughs> oh, my God, Hulk Hogan. Oh, my. Oh, <laughs> you're so funny. And Hulk just looks at me. And he goes, check it out. Sis Anna's Liz Affin and Mizzy. And I just, for whatever reason, I can't look at, at a mall Santa without just going calling him Sis Anna. It's a moment in time. It's just a moment in time. Sis Anna. Susanna, yeah. Susanna Liz laughing at him. Can you imagine Susanna laughing at his Hulk? Yep, I can. No, no, I can't. I can't. Because Santa and Hulk were tight. Santa told his prayers and took his vitamins and everything. Took his prayers and ate his vitamins. But for, awesome. for me, I kept telling him, I said, man, Steve, you got to take the stuff off of him first to prove that it's not really Santa Claus. <laughs> and as usual, nobody listened to me. And they just kind of went ahead and finally, we finally got it off of him, but you never saw that it was just some guy. Santa likes to work that damn microphone. He's looking for something to say. He keeps thinking he has another line. Well, he's trying, I mean, listen, he's an indie guy. He's on WWE TV. He's trying to get his shit in. But he's Susanna right now. He ain't no damn indie guy right now. There you go. Take that, you fat fuck. And we never did get the beard off of him, got the little hair off of him, little hat off of him. So if you ain't down with that, give him a hell yeah. There's Dirk, the cameraman, one of my favorite uh, handheld cameramen. He's no longer with the company, but he was uh, one of the best handheld guys you ever wanted to see. All those guys are good. So, fuck Santa. Dump that son of a bitch. Santa takes a great bump over the top rope. And see you later. Ho, ho, motherfucking ho. Man, fans are into it. Beating up Santa Claus is over. You know what it is. When you were a kid, you know, you wanted to beat up Santa sometimes. No, I've always loved my dad. Yeah. Well, after Christmas, sometimes you get a little hot at the time. I got a chalkboard. You got a chalkboard once. Yeah. I got a chalkboard. That was my big present one year for Christmas. You're fucking making that up. I am not making that up. And in my stocking was white chalk and colored chalk. Man, Sean Michaels doing right now. He's going to get to the chalkboard and change the matches. You were a bad kid. We were poor. The fuck you want? And one of the greatest uh, commercials that we ever did. Again, another Sahadi. We all shot in the same, you know, warehouse. Yeah, these. Uh, I'm just. 
I'm not a real athlete. I'm just a wrestler. And they're running through all their real life accolades. Exactly. Let's talk about, uh, some things going on behind the scenes here. Uh, Glenn Kolka had some sort of legal problem that wouldn't allow him to cross over into the United States. That makes the observer. Is this a drug charge? That's usually what Dave is insinuating. Or I think what a lot of readers think that Dave is insinuating when there's some sort of charge that won't allow him to come over. No, it was a visa deal that he had violated a visa gimmick earlier on. We didn't know. And so when we had initially brought him over, initially he came over and he didn't come over, uh, on a visa. He came over as a visitor. They didn't catch it. So when we tried to do the paperwork for him, realized that he had violated a previous, uh, visa situation. He had played in the Canadian football league and things like that and realized, well, shit, we can't even get him into the States. Hmm. So that's what had happened. Talk to me about, um, Ahmed Johnson. He was in uh, an auto accident around this time, suffered some neck and back damage. Wasn't expected to be returning until January. It won't be long. And old Ahmed is out of here. Um, what do you remember about the car accident? Just where Ahmed stood with the company at this time? Well, the, uh, the auto accident was suspect at best. There was not, you know, whenever we would have a request for a diagnosis, a prognosis from a doctor, something would always happen. So I don't know if he was in an automobile or he wasn't in an automobile accident, but the fact of the matter is, is that when we would request either him go get checked out by one of our doctors or for his doctor to communicate with us, those things didn't happen. And he would just tell us the, the goal line, it kept moving. So it was, he'll be back in December. He'll be back in January. He'll be back in March. Um, who am I working with at WrestleMania? Uh, <laughs> maybe that might be able to get him back sooner. So I think that there was a, a, a bit of question as far as the validity of his injuries. I've seen the undertaker come to the ring here. what did you think of this version of the undertaker? This late 1997 look, uh, wasn't my favorite. It was a little too, uh, piratey for me and a little too, um, medieval, I guess would, would be another way to describe it. But I didn't, I wasn't, I just wasn't crazy about it. I gotta tell you, I think it might be my favorite. Yeah. I like the old, I like the old school with the, I like the old, old one. And I like the you know, the version a little bit later on, I, I like the leather stuff, but this one was a little too medieval for me. And he always looked like, a. he should be saying, "R matey. You guys were probably saying R when TSN and Canada refused to air the gold dust and Luna interview a, a few weeks prior to this, this is the start of what feels like a run here for a couple of years where a lot of stuff will air in the United States, but not on TSN in Canada. Uh, do you remember having specific discussions about what might or might not make air once you started to go down this sort of, uh, risque road? Not really, you know, uh, not so much even in Canada, which is the funny thing. We were probably a little more concerned how it was going to air overseas, whether or not they would take it in different parts of the world. Um, because we heavily edited a lot of the stuff that went into the Middle East. We edited a lot of things that um, even went into South America, which was which was crazy. And then you would get to the UK, 
hardly had to edit out shit. And in Canada, sometimes they, they would get on a moral high ground. Sometimes they really didn't care. You'd be amazed at some of the things they would let you air, but then they would balk at other. And I think it was just a, a whim on what they felt objectionable on that day, whatever, whichever way the wind was blowing that week. I want to mention that the, um, two weeks after TSN edited that you guys start to do this whole toning down on December 15th. I know I mentioned that earlier, the first hour, second hour differentiator to the point where even in the first hour, they're calling Billy Gunn B a Billy Gunn instead right. of badass Billy Gunn, which is kind of fun. But you know, here this week, we've got guys out there with their assholes hanging out and says, Merry Christmas on their butt. You didn't see their assholes hanging out. It was completely censored. You didn't see shit. Uh, the undertaker's wrestling the rock here and the rock has been, uh, a bit of a controversy online in the last couple of weeks where people are debating again for the 9,000th time, the name, the rock versus Rocky Mavia. And I think. What's maybe gotten confused, and I want you to set the record straight here. Most everyone thinks that it was JR or Vince Russo. And I think Vince Russo claims credit for The Rock, but Jim Ross gets the honor of him referring to himself in third person in promos, like, as you said, Deion Sanders. So maybe Russo is the first to say, call yourself The Rock. But Jr. is the one who says, refer to yourself in third person in promos like Deion Sanders. Is that the in, way you remember it? No, it's not. Because when we made the phone call, the, the entire situation was Rocky was out with a knee injury. He was coming back. Russo did not know what to do with him. And he kept saying, I don't, I have no idea what to do with this guy. He's basically colorless, odorless, all this other shit. And I'd brought up putting him in the nation of domination. I said, God, I said, bring him back, put him in the nation. That way we, we protect him with his knee. They were chanting die Rocky die. He's got a reason to join the nation and be a part of this group. So let him come back, bring him back as a heel. Fuck. He was a heel when he left as a baby face. So let him cut the promos on the people. He goes, ah, can he talk? And then it was Jim Ross who in the pitch to rock, was pitching him talking about, you know, goddamn boy, you, you just saw Dion. He, he cut a promo on Dion's going to have a good game this week and, and, and just refer yourself in third person. Call yourself The Rock. Just shorten it. Call yourself The Rock. I give that credit to Jim Ross. And I was there because we're the ones. Russo had, had called uh, Rocky and pitched it, and Rocky did not want to be a heel. He didn't want to do it. And Russo came back and says, yeah, he doesn't want to do it. And I said, no, bullshit. This would be great for him. And Jim Ross and I got on the phone with him right then and there in my office and pitched him. And then he started thinking about it and going, okay, well, that'd be cool. Yeah, I could do that. We didn't, you know, at that time, no one dreamed that he was going to be this breakout star. We didn't think that he was going to go in and, and take over the nation the way that he did and, and become the leader and, and the whole thing with Farouk. We thought maybe we can get there someday. But nobody had any idea that he was going to become what he became. And then when he did, I'll never forget Vince saying, you know, goddamn, what's wrong? This guy puts a microphone in his, he put a microphone in his hand. The crowd goes nuts. Give him a goddamn microphone. Let him talk. That's what made the rock. 
So I, bullshit on Russo. Let's talk about the rock here. You know, Meltzer can be fairly critical of the way belts were flip-flopping here. And he's certainly taking you guys to task for allowing two titles, uh, to change hands without it actually happening in the ring. Of course, we know what's going to happen here in a few minutes with Shawn Michaels, triple H. I don't know. You're going to say, oh, well it happened in the ring, but still it's not the traditional way that a belt would change hands. And at the same time, he's pretty critical of the way the Steve Austin rock intercontinental switch is going to happen. He says the original plan was for Austin to lose the belt at the, in your house, the generation X pay-per-view to Rocky Mount via, but Austin box at that. So a compromise has worked out where he instead gets over his quote, defiant anti-establishment role and Maya via get the tight gets the title. Although those reasons don't really make any sense, but Austin doesn't have to do a job. And Meltzer would say, as best we can tell, there was no heat regarding what ended up happening as everyone involved in the decision-making process was comfortable with the compromise. Although the end result was a storyline that made no logical sense in regard to Maya via ending up with the title. The approach Austin took basically since the current plan is for him to win the WWF title at WrestleMania for Michaels is that since he's headlining mania, he didn't think it would be good for him to do a high profile job to a heel who was just getting established as a top name like my via, even though no doubt the finish would have involved tons of outside interference. So it's a logical argument and he probably shouldn't have been the intercontinental title anyway. What do you think about, uh, the criticism about the way the belt was just handed to rock? Well, again, that to, to be clear, that was Vince McMahon's decision. That wasn't Austin's decision and Austin didn't balk, but anytime that something like that happens because Meltzer knows everything when he doesn't know fuck all, that's not how it went down. And Vince was kind of in a corner. He's got this title on Steve. He doesn't want to beat Steve for the championship because he knows where he's going. And he felt that. Steve dropping the title in the ring would not be good for Steve and where he wanted to go. And that was a Vince McMahon decision. That wasn't a Steve Austin decision. So getting into that, you know, people don't want to put the heat, especially the boys. You know, a lot of times they don't want to put the heat on Vince. It's so much easier to put it on another talent or somebody else that can't fire you. Um, that was Vince's decision. That's how he wanted to do it. His rationale was protecting Stone Cold and protecting that character for where he wanted to go with it. And that's it. There's no other big story to it. There was no, you know, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to put this guy over. I don't know that Steve really gave a shit because he knew where he was going. That was Vince McMahon. And that's how Vince felt. Of course, the Shawn Michaels thing is a whole nother story. Um, Meltzer would write, we aren't clear whether it was Michael's suggestion to give the belt to Hemsley so he could avoid doing the job when asked to drop it or the promotion, simply recognizing all the problems inherent and asking Michaels to do a job and coming up with the scenario as a way to get the belt onto somebody else without ruffling Michael's feathers to the point coming in the wake of Austin, not doing a job when he was originally asked, isn't clear. For those keeping score, that makes of Michael's nine championship reigns in the WWF tenure. He's done exactly two jobs to drop them, both in situation where it was a short known turnaround until he got the respective belts back. And once again, a Vince McMahon decision. And it was Vince looking at Sean, thinking that the European championship brought Sean down as the WWF champion. How exciting. He wanted to get the belt off of him. 
how excited are you with what we're watching right now? Kane in the ring with the red light shining over the ring, facing his brother, the undertaker, Paul bear on the mic. What do you think he's saying right now? Oh yes. I diddled your mama. I'm not going to tell you that, but oh, Paul bear was there. And now your baby brother's going to kick your ass. If you will only, only face him. Oh yes. And this was just, I mean, again, the anticipation of finally will undertaker finally will he fight his brother and fight back and able to tell this story. Think about it. You're, you're telling this from what September, October, all the way until WrestleMania. And somebody asked me the other day, is there another story that's going to come close? And I think the shield, uh, with Rollins and, uh, Ambrose, that may come close to what they're doing now, but they rush things so fast and everything so quickly. Now you watch this and, and all they've been doing is promos. That's all they've done with the exception of Kane, you know, attacking taker taker has not made an offensive mood move against his brother yet. And here we are in December. And Pooh Bear was just, I mean, good God, the master of telling stories and being able to, you know, you can attack Paul all you want. And now Kane getting in licks, but Taker's not going to fight the son of a bitch back. And choking him ain't fighting him back. But finally, the, you know, Kane beating on his brother, this was just absolutely storytelling 101 great shit. Or watching, by the way, uh, was recorded on December 11th in Lowell, Mass. And this is famously the same building where Sean lost his smile. It is. And, and Cornette had great lines at the end, at the end, which I'll reiterate for the last match between him and triple H that I just thought was absolutely hilarious. One of the things I wanted to talk about here is how much the the direction of the company had changed because a year prior to this, there's not nearly as much attitude, shall we say. And Meltzer would say, there's no question that WWF has been trying actually for more than one year, although it's gone further in this direction over the past several weeks to change from being a kitty oriented show to appeal more to early twenties males, the group most likely to buy tickets to arena events and the group most likely to create a heated atmosphere in the buildings. It is an obvious reaction toward losing the Monday night ratings war to WCW, which actually popularized the quote unquote, bad attitude wrestlers with the NWO spray painting, pointing to their crotch and saying, bite me due to the fear of potential sponsor backlash. WCW has attempted of late to differentiate itself from the WWF and Eric Bischoff has ordered that some of that behavior when it comes to gestures, language, phraseology, etc., to be toned down. Now I know you're going to take issue with that, but to me, that makes a lot of sense. The WWF had traditionally targeted kids and toys and shit like that. And now with the success of the NWO, you guys have to shift a little bit to catch up. And obviously you're going to pass them. Well, the biggest part of it was beer, right? And the biggest part of it was we were looking at adult advertisers, adult advertisers wanted an adult demographic, um, you know, when you go back and you look at, um, 
yes, it was geared towards kids and yes, kids were watching it. But for the first time, I think when you look at overall ratings and, and look at the audience demographic, the audience, man, it was older. And so Vince was using that. He wanted to get he wanted to get that Budweiser, that Coors money and felt that if we could get after some of the adult advertisers, that would change everything as well and get away from, you know, there was a time he didn't want it. He didn't want to take the, the toy company advertising. He didn't, you know, even Mars to a point, even though that's a candy, everybody eats it, but it was money. So hell yeah, you know, money's money. And the lore of the adult advertisers, they were telling us your, your product needs to, if you have so many 12 year olds watching your product, man, we can't sell beer on your show. Right. So that's why, that's why we were trying to, to trend upwards. We were trying to trend older. We were trying to be edgier. What's happening. He, I mean, you guys are running television tapings at the end of November, specifically here's one, the Nassau Coliseum sold more than 10,000 tickets for a gate of over $251,000. The idea of you guys drawing that for a raw just a year prior, not happening. Sure. And business, you know, business was picking up. Business was really good during this time. And, and it was all on the upswing and part of it, a big part of it. And this is my favorite open. This one here coming up with the, the war zone. Um, I don't know why it's a lot of the same shit. I just liked it better, but we even talked about, you know, changing the, the opening, the, the set open out there and and we did it sometimes i think we tried it once or twice you know we brought the tanks out and the jeeps and all that shit put sandbags up and made it uh as much as we could look like a war zone but that just it just wasn't feasible it's like god damn fuck it we change the name that's enough that's all they need but uh you know as far as the edginess and what we were trying to do and and the happy medium here was saying, okay, the first hour is going to be geared, not as edgy, not as this, not as that. The second hour, hopefully we can get the more adult advertisers like Blue Chew. Well, there's nothing more adult than investing smartly. And uh, Robinhood is an investing app that lets you buy and sell stocks, options, cryptos, all commission-free. So even if you're a stock market newcomer, you can invest for the first time with true confidence. While other brokerages are going to charge up to $10 for every trade, Robinhood doesn't charge commission fees, which means you can trade stocks and keep all your profits. Plus, you can discover new stocks and track favorite companies with a personalized news feed. I downloaded Robinhood. I love it. Uh, it's way easier than I imagined. It's so easy. Even Bruce can do it. And now they're giving our listeners a free stock. You hear me? A free stock like Apple, Ford, or Sprint. And all of that can just help you build your portfolio right there with Robinhood. Sign up right now at wrestle.robinhood.com. That's wrestle.robinhood.com. I love Robinhood. You will too. And I did it, and it really is easy. And I've got a few stocks on there. Plus, I got my free one. So, yeah, if I can do it, you can too. So Shawn Michaels coming to the ring here, sporting a little DX gear. He, of course, is your European champion, and he's going to have to defend the title. Against his buddy, his running mate, Triple H. And I guess I should give everybody a heads up here. Uh, we are 48 minutes and 32, 33, 34 seconds. 48 minutes, 36, 37, 38. And Owen Hart 
by God. You know, I love this, the way that Owen comes from behind and takes him down and just, it's little details that, that made this shit work, especially like with Owen, he was different and the, his approach was different. Most guys would have just come from behind and glommed him from behind. Owen comes down and takes out both knees and takes his ass down and then gets on top of him. I just, it's, it's those nuances that made Owen Hart the special talent that he was because he made everything he did different than the next guy. He just didn't do it the same. And, and that worked. That was again, good shit. Sean and Hunter aren't going to have any of this shit. This is bullshit. Sergeant slaughter you, you bastard. Of course we saw Owen return at in your house, to generation X and Meltzer would report around this time that the preliminary buy rates are hovering between 0.39 and 0.50, which is slightly ahead of where it was for December 96 in your house. It's time, but significantly down from survivor series, but you guys probably expected that. I mean, in that era, survivor series was still very much one of the big four, right? Absolutely. And, and we always not good. I'm not saying this is good, but at that time you're talking 1997, we weren't we hadn't been doing pay-per-views every month for many years before that the big four, the big five, we expected them to do big numbers and we accepted that the other shows weren't going to do as much as those. So any improvement was good from year to year. Huh? Sassafras. Uh, I want everybody to welcome you to, to Raw's war. This, this here's the war zone. God damn right. It is mother. Fucker, listen to silly ass shit. We got fucking baby faces and heels on this motherfucking show, and I hate everybody, motherfucker. So obviously, you guys are chroma keying or whatever you want to call that. When did you? Rec- when did the announcers record that part for this show? The show was taped on the eleventh, airing on the twenty second. Day of twenty second, we did the we did the commentary live. So they were in the studio live, live doing the the actual commentary. You can be topical that way, goddammit. And it's still snowing, man. Snowing like a motherfucker that night. Yeah, indoors. Oh, everywhere. Just every, everywhere you looked, it was snowing. Billy Gunn and Jesse James here with the airbrush t shirts. <laughs> oh, man. But again, this is, this is just classic shit, them going in and. You know, we're going to find the guy in here and beat up the wrong guy. And obviously you can tell that's the wrong goddamn guy. And I actually, you know, I, I don't know this for a fact, but I think that this was just one of the crew guys. This wasn't even a worker that got his ass whooped in there. It was a mistake. But Road Dog, hey, man, Road Dog and Billy at this time, I think that they did some of their best work because they were so fucking hungry. You know, they were willing to do anything and they were trying everything. I want to mention here, cause we just saw earlier, um, mankind. And of course that's who they're looking for in the back, that table spot that we saw earlier from New Hampshire, where he flew off and it wasn't a wooden table. It was a plastic table. He fractured a rib on that bump. Oh, I believe it. Yeah. Just, uh, but 
sometimes he liked doing those things and he didn't like fracturing ribs. Don't get me wrong. But the reason I said that might've even been Mick's idea to put a plastic table down there was so that he could have people go, Ooh, that wasn't supposed to happen. And you got to love him for that. Uh, but I hated, I hated when he got hurt. Of course we saw the rock earlier out here wrestling without the intercontinental title, because in storyline, it was thrown off the bridge. Of course we've discussed before. It was actually an old tag belt. It was not the intercontinental title, but they didn't need it because you guys are having a new intercontinental title made. You're going to go from the classic Reggie parks design to the oval shaped Joe Marshall design. When you compare those two intercontinental titles, which ones did you like the best of the two? I like the old one. I like the old one that Savage and Steamboat wore. Yeah, I think everybody does. You know, it, it just to me was more of a classic belt, and and I helped design the new ones. But I, uh, after after you get it, you look at it for a while. The classics are just better. So, uh, right here, Marrow's saying he's in the Christmas spirit and he's going to make an exception. So Sable, come on out here. Yes. in your Christmas best by God and Jr. being the lascivious old man. Wait, wait, can you see what she's wearing? Oh, oh, hell. Oh, hell. That's not what she's wearing earlier. So help me God corny. I swear, I swear you would have just, uh, made George rap stand up and you'd have loved it. By the no, way, I wouldn't I hate Sable? How how great are the reactions from the dudes in the crowd who were really ready to see some TNA and instead <laughs> it's the look at this. This is like three or four just disgusted dudes. Like what the fuck? This is not what I paid for. That's real heel heat right there, is it not? Absolutely. But she does make a very cute Rudolph. Uh, no, I'm gonna be careful with what I say here because I like my spleen inside my body, and Brock may be listening. Yeah, well, again, she does. She, I just was like, people were very disappointed and very upset. Yes. She'll be a reindeer. I like reindeer. Do you know if Sable ever played any reindeer games? She is right now. See? Sable with your nose so bright? Just saying. Yeah, I better watch it too. I'll see Brock again. Yeah, I've seen what he did to your face once before. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And of course, Scotty too hottie in the back before he was too hottie. He was just regular hottie, not too hottie. No, he was just old Scotty Taylor by God. I was just kidding. I know. He wasn't yet too hottie. Well, you know. Well, huh? And I remember Pat Patterson seeing Scott Taylor one time on an independent show and coming back Vince is just like Shawn Michael in the independent show he work he wear the same thing they love him why can't he do that here so that's what he's doing old Scotty Taylor and I think Scott's working at the performance center now is he not I'm distracted hang on just a second rain this Rudolph is wearing high heels and and now uh, she's taking her head off to at least get to see the sable head, not the reindeer head. Yeah, exactly. So that's, that's better than the reindeer head, but the reindeer head was kind of, kind of cute. Her nose was very bright. By the way, I want to mention that, uh, the dark match is here. Steve Blackman beat Brian Walsh recon and sniper beat a couple of kids, Matt and Jeff Hardy. Never heard of them. 
uh, Flash Funk beat Bar- uh, Farouk, and the Headbangers beat Savio Vega and Miguel Perez. Oh, I guess I should mention Mark Henry beat uh, the Sultan, and uh, Tom Brandy beat Barry Houston. Bastards. Tom Brandy, Sal Sincere. Yeah, it's really going to work for him there big time. Uh, you know, the and Undertaker isn't going to be in the main event of the next pay-per-view. And, uh, we're of course talking about the Royal Rumble, which we, um, may or may not have a, a poll for hang tight. You'll find out at the end of the show, but he's missing some shows here in December because of high blood pressure. And that's not something that we hear a lot about what was going on with Undertaker here. Everything. Um, he was nursing injuries, but also at this time, his dad was pretty sick and his dad was going through some health issues and Mark was flying back and forth to Houston. Uh, was very close, close with his dad. And I think it was a lot, a lot of anxiety and just had a lot of shit going on in his life. So he was, he was trying to please everybody. He was, you know, back and forth and every free moment that he had, he would, he would be in Houston. He would sit at his dad's side and, um, it was wearing on him. And there was just a lot of shit going on. So that was it. Plus he was nursing injuries. Needed some me time for the dead man. Talk to me about crush skull and eight ball are going to sign new contracts, but crush is released. And a lot of people expect him to show up in WCW as a result, but in real life, he's a good friend of the undertaker. Did undertaker campaign for him to find something or was it just some sort of irreconcilable differences between he and the company at that point? Crush had a very, had a very high, uh, asking price. He felt that we should have been doing a lot more with him and felt that he was a a top main event guy and wanted main event money. And Vince disagreed with that. He didn't, he felt that we had tried a lot of different things with him. And the best thing that he was doing at that time was being a part of DOA and it wasn't working. So we parted ways that that was all it was. He let him get out and go to greener pastures. Now the former Sal sincere, Tom Brandy, that was a big move right there. That, that baseball sliding drop kick, man. But Tom Brandy, you know, for whatever reason he had the look, he had the body, but Tom just never really caught on anywhere. Why do you think that is? I, I think that he was playing wrestler. Mm. I don't know that Tom really ever. He didn't believe it. Yes. Yes. Oh, ho, ho, ho. I believe this. I believe Mrs. Claus is here. That's what I'm talking about. Corny right there. That, that's what I saw her in. That's what I saw Sable in. Yeah. Mrs. Claus got some mistletoe over here. Who, um, would you guys tell Sable what to wear? And then she would go find the outfit or somebody in the back picking this stuff out for her and having it ready. We would have like, well, the special stuff like this, we would have someone go out and get that over there. Mrs. Claus are us costumes and whatnot. Let's talk about business for a minute because you know, we kept referencing where it was a year prior. I don't at least run through that. Um, the average attendance in November of 96 was 3,861. It's up 92% a year later to 7,440. 
revenues at the gate. Those are up 101% going from 61,000 in November of 96 to more than 123,000 in November of 97. And ratings are up 53.8%. In November of 96, you guys are getting a 1.3. Here in November of 97, it's a 2.0. Uh, it's incredible how much it's growing year over year, you know, even for instance, the survivor series, which is the biggest big four or nearest big four, you would have had a buy rate of 0.58 compared to 0.89, which represents 1.74 million compared to 3.14. So an incredible jump year over year from 96 to 97. Yeah, I, I mean business, everything, and it just wasn't in the in the house shows. It just wasn't in the ratings. It was in merchandising, and this was the time that we started to see all of our stuff in malls and everywhere you looked. There was an Austin three sixteen shirt, and as you see here, you know we were plugging everything: China syndrome, the China shirts, just every way that we could to slide those references in. We did. Okay, everybody. Uh, well, here he is. What about one of the nicest, one of the nicest guys in the wrestling business, Robert Mallet, Kurgan. I thought you were going to say something nice about Don Callis. Uh, Don had nice hair. Mm. What the hell? Now, no one knew what the little Indian bead was. But there she goes. She got one. How jealous was Jerry Lawler right there? <laughs> I don't know. You know, Vince, the the entire Kurgan thing was Vince seeing Kurgan dance at WrestleMania and then he became an oddity. God damn it, he can dance. He's got personality. I love him. So he became a dancing giant. Speaking of personality, one of the great old school personalities in the business, Gordon Soley, uh, was announced as being an honoree at a WWF house show in Florida in February. And he was even going to appear at a raw taping. And I don't know why, but Gordon Soley in the WWF just seems like oil and water, I guess. Chat me up. How did this association come to be? Who in the in the office was a Gordon Sully fan besides Jim Cornette. I think everybody was, uh, Jerry Briscoe was obviously a big Gordon Sully fan. Uh, Jim Ross was, I, I think we all were. And Gordon was a mainstay in Florida. He was the voice of Florida championship wrestling for so many years. That's the reason that we did it in Florida. It was his home and people, people knew who the hell he was and it was a way to honor him and. I think if Vince would have, I don't know if Vince would have had Gordon be a, a national. Vince wasn't a big fan of his work. He liked Gordon personally, but just wasn't a huge fan of his work. Talk to me a little bit about some of the signees at the time. Uh, you guys had just signed Mr. Aguilera, Sean Morley, and Sean Stasiak. Uh, of those three, who did you think the star was going to be or who did everybody think was the blue chipper, so to speak? They were, you know, each one of them in different ways. Um, Aguilar, he was the sensation in Mexico. He was 
the guy everybody was talking about in Mexico, this huge sensation, kind of like the the new kid coming in at MLW right now, they thought was going to be the second coming. So we thought he was going to help on the Hispanic side. Then you go to uh, Sean Morley. Sean had all the tools, man. He had a great look. And frankly, he was a huge star in Mexico as well. So we thought, man, he could be another crossover for us. He looks great, speaks English, he's Canadian, and he also is a big star in Mexico. And he's a big star as Steel, but at the same time, they'd unmasked him, and we thought that, okay, that might help us a little bit in the uh, Mexican market. And Sean Stasiak, second generation, thought that he had the great size and a good look, but never, ever got it. I remember... Sean Stasiak, you know, he had worked a little bit for many years in Seattle and, and had learned to work and actually had matches for several years. But when he came to the tryout, Kurt Angle was flat back bumping in 15 minutes and Sean, after several years, couldn't flat back properly. So all of them in their own way to answer your question. Let's run through the guys who are going to be in this next training camp. You guys are putting together a camp from... January 3rd to January 12th at the offices in Stanford, Dory Funk, Pat Patterson, and Tom Pritchard are going to be mentoring here. And among those included are Mark Merrow, Ahmed Johnson, Robert Millay, who is Kirk and the interrogator we're watching here, Mark Henry, Brackus, Darren Drozdoff, Steve Blackman, Randy Blackbeard, Adam Copeland, Dan Severn. And Dan Severn specifically gets a shout out in the newsletter for saying that the last time he and Dory Funk were together, it was not a cohesive situation. Do you remember there being an issue with Dan and Dory? Not of not of anything being real serious. No, I think that there was just some of those old timers and Dory making a comment about Dan being the NWA champion and Dan taking exception to it, but. There was no, there was absolutely zero issue with those two. Do you remember Mark Robinson? Meltzer would write, he's a sumo wrestler from South Africa who's currently in Japan in a major tournament. And he was quoted in the Japanese media saying he had agreed to join the WWF in 1998, 310 pounds. Uh, is that ring a bell? Mark Robinson? No, never heard of him. Hmm. Um, one of the other things I wanted to talk about was the idea that even though we're going with him and he's going to main event WrestleMania and he's going to be our next big guy, Austin is still not working here and he's got another doctor's appointment in January and they're hopeful that he's going to be able to work singles matches after this. Was there ever a concern that he might not be ready for the rumble? Yes, there was, but there was also, you know, Vince gave us the mandate of we have to plan and we have to write our televisions and book as if he is the guy. And if he is not and something happens, then we'll come up with a plan B for right now. You have to think positively and you have to move towards that ultimate goal. We weren't allowed to think and, um, look at anything different at that time. It was, let's get this done and let's make this happen. And Steve was on board with that too. Steve felt he was going to be ready. And, and we were just trying to protect 
protect that investment every way that we could. We wanted to get there and, and make it all work. Let's go to Twitter. Take some questions that we got from listeners here as we're seeing a recap video and uh dealer Brown is making his way to the ring here. Um, This is great. I love our listeners. Not really a question, but I think this might be as good a time as any to get hashtag Rick Rude's dong trending again. It's been a couple of years since we talked about Rick Rude's dong. Anything new pop up on your end? No. Well, code with blue chew. Oh, sorry. Um, McMoron 84 wants to know going nude. Is that a Shawn Michaels or a Vince Russo idea? Were you told to add the sensor effect or did you do it on your own? Okay. Were we told to add that? No, we did that on our own. It goes back to the old days when Blackjack Mulligan would do the claw on TV and go back to Bruce Beefcake. You put the big X on there. You think there's something, you want to see what you can't see. And that was the idea behind the censoring it. Make people think that they did a lot more than they actually did. Macho wants to know, Bruce, who had the nicest ass? Hunter, Sean, or China? Ooh, wow. That's a toss up. Fuck. Adam wants to know, did Bruce buy Vince a Christmas present every year? If so, what does he think Vince's favorite present was he ever received from Bruce? Well, I know what the, I know what the favorite was. It was a, uh, a piece of art that I had made for him after the jury that was a scape of New York city with a plane flying over it with a banner behind it says Vince McMahon and Titan sports, not guilty. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Last I knew it was still hanging in his home, but usually Vince is hard to buy for. So usually you get him a sweatshirt to get him some kind of novelty gimmick. John wants to know how much do you think China legitimately weighed here? Uh, probably about a buck 80. I bet it's more than that. No, that's big. I mean, that's heavy. How much do you think she weighed? No, I would have thought she was two bills. Nah, I'd say buck 80, maybe one eighty five and a half. Andy, yeah. Andy wants to know how much of WrestleMania 14 was planned by this show. Clearly undertaker Kane. Clearly Shawn Michaels, um, Steve Austin. Hey, what else? Anything else that I can remember? Uh, that was it. I mean, those were the two big, that, that was the attraction. And about this time we had very few of us actually, but we had a pretty good idea about Tyson, but at this time, you know, Tyson's involvement was not at the extent that it became, uh, Tyson's involvement grew after that first uh, appearance or the, the shoving match and wherever the hell that was in California. That's when we went back and went, Oh shit, we got something here. Originally it was, he's just going to be the referee and we're going to play it pretty straight. Shamrock tapping out D'Lo Brown here. Of course, Shamrock had been flirting with the idea of doing an MMA match and it looked like it was going to happen. And you guys even gave him permission to do so. And he was going to make like $150,000 for the fight. Ultimately it doesn't happen though. Here comes the rock cutting a promo and setting up that feud, which we know is going to happen at WrestleMania. Talk to me a little bit about 
uh, the creative at this time. This feels like when Russo is coming to power a little more. Talk to me about the evolution of how that process would have changed and where it is right here to the best of your recollection. At, the, at this point in time, it was a lot of Russo and Cornette. Uh, I was doing more in the office, handling a lot of the administrative shit that I hated. And I would only, you know, I was coming in and out pretty much on the creative end of things. I would meet with Vince. We would go over stuff. And when I say I'd meet with Vince, I'd meet with Vince McMahon after the fact. But a lot of the the creative meetings, the early stuff, that was all done with Cornette and Russo pretty much around this point. I would sit in from time to time, but not nearly as much as I had before. How, how was it different? What were the challenges of a taped show like this? Because in this particular case, it's taped so far in advance that you really had to have your shit together and really go over multiple shows at the same time. And you're doing two hour shows. So it feels like there would be instances where you'd have to have six or eight hours of television completely written in a fairly short span. What challenges did that present at the time? Well, not really, because you, you only had to do, you were doing two weeks at a time. You would do a Monday, then you do a Tuesday taping for the next week where they were back to back so that while you're out, you can maximize that, that travel and shit. So you're really only doing two weeks at a time. You need to have a pretty damn good idea where you're going regardless. They should have a good idea where the fuck they're going now um, in, in four to six weeks time, much less three to four months time. So you always have to look at what you're doing this week and what you're going to do next week and the following week. So you always try to look at three week blocks is a minimum as far as just continuity of your stories. So it was, there weren't that many challenges that actually made writing TV easier because you had shit in the can and it gave you more time. It gave you two weeks to write television, which you're going to say, yeah, but you're writing two weeks. Trust me, that extra time just gives you, it just gives you pad and gives you more time to create and come up with stuff. Well, something you guys were uh, trying to come up with as a way to get Mark Henry over and you'd invested a bunch of money in him about 18 months prior to this. And Meltzer would write, Mark Henry has improved immensely since we last saw him. And he looks to have dropped about 40 pounds. Although being able to walk and chew gum at the same time would have been an immense improvement. If he's going to make it, it's as a heel getting heat for the strongest man stick. Fans are far too sophisticated to buy Henry having bombed out in the Olympics, whose so-called record setting power lifting marks are well below those of Dirk furnace despite having a 150 pound body weight edge as the strongest man in the world. At this point, he has no charisma and that bear hug finisher, even with him being legitimately very strong is 25 years behind the times and they've got millions invested in him. So they'll do anything and everything to make it work. How does he figure we have millions invested in him? Well, I mean, I think you signed him to a big deal for a long time. Oh boy. Yeah, for a very long time, and and I wouldn't even say that that deal was a million dollars if you look at it over the entire time. And I'll include the time that we sponsored him for two years before the Olympics. But the other thing, it's funny when an expert talks about things and mentions things like Doug Furness. Doug, Doug, extremely strong guy, man, and, and had a moniker of one of the world's strongest men. 
but Doug was in a different competition. If you were to add up and how they come up with that world's strongest man moniker is they add all of your lifts together. And that's how they come up with this guy's world's strongest man. He may not be the world's strongest bench presser or deadlifter, but when you combine all of his lifts, that's how they come up with that moniker. If you were to put all of Doug's lifts and all of Mark Henry's lifts together, Mark Henry would beat him by a, a country mile easily. Um, and I'm not discounting Doug Furness in any way, shape or form because Doug was one of the strongest some bitches I've ever seen in my life. Just it's it's a different it's a different deal and a, and a completely different thing. Doug was on I don't want to say the working side, but he was on the entertainment working side of that. Mark Henry was in that real world of powerlifting and all that shit that they take very seriously. And Doug and Doug did too. I'm not discounting that. I'm just saying that Mark definitely owned that moniker "World's Strongest Man" for many years. Let's talk a little bit about, um, what we're seeing here. I need you to describe this. It's Christmas tree. It's a artist formerly known as gold dust Christmas tree. This was a precursor to Kane. When Kane was the Christmas tree or the Christmas monster or whatever the hell he was in, in Memphis, Tennessee, got the, got the idea from that where We'll dress gold dust up as, is a goddamn Christmas tree. He's got a star on top and everything. And Luna's going to cut a promo here in a minute. She was absolutely wonderful. I loved Luna. Absolutely terrifying in real life. But how would you describe it? I loved it. I know so many people didn't, but it's such a spectacle and it's so different. It's so out there him coming out dressed up in Christmas lights. Like, a, I mean, this is just, I don't know. I loved it. Well, of course you would love it. Who the hell wouldn't love it. And now he's going to read twas the night before Christmas and all through the house. Not a creature was stirring serious business. He's the original lady Gaga here. Yes. And he would, he would have, uh, likened himself to uh, Dennis Rodman. In my opinion, I think Goldust was more uh, extreme than Dennis Rodman. And you're right. He's, yeah. He was Lady Gaga beforehand. And now the real Santa Claus is out, folks. But what's that smell? <laughs> you know, if it was smell-o-vision, you would know who was underneath that Santa Claus suit right away. Well, if they're going to throw coffee in the good eye, I think surely knows who it is well exactly uh, and and this santa claus doesn't need any padding in that thing either so you know he's the real santa claus Out of here, dang. and damn it it's snowing again it let up there for a little bit but it's already snowing again in the, in the building so let the artist formerly known as gold dust be able to finish his little christmas carol by god Bruce, take your pills. Thank you. That shout out is for our friend, uh, Joe Edson from Camp Hill, Pennsylvania. I know he's a big, uh, Bruce, take your pills guy. You know, when you reach a certain age, Conrad, you need reminders. Well, I don't think a lot of people need reminders. They need a little extra money in their pocket right now. So consolidate your credit cards with Lightstream. 
I've used Lightstream before. It was super easy. I actually used it for a car loan, but if you've got credit card debt, especially if maybe you overdid it this Christmas, man, Lightstream's your hookup. And they believe that people with good credit deserve a great interest rate. So you can get a credit card consolidation loan with rates as low as 6.14% APR with auto pay. And that's much, much lower than the national average credit card interest rate, which is over 19% APR. Even better though, your rate is fixed. So as rates continue to rise, your rate won't, you're locked in. You can get a loan from 5,000 all the way up to $100,000 and get your money as soon as the day you apply. The application is easy, there's no fees, and it's 100% online. In this holiday season, you can save even more with an additional interest rate discount. The only way to get the discount though, is to go to lightstream.com slash wrestle. That's L-I-G-H-T-S-T-R-E-A-M.com slash wrestle. Of course, subject to credit approval, and the rate includes a half percent auto pay discount. Terms and conditions apply and offers are subject to change without notice. But for more details and all the information, take it from me. You need to visit lightstream.com slash wrestle. And you will have a Vader Christmas too when you do. Dude, he nailed him in the back of the head with his sack. Boy, he sure as hell did. And Luna just threw her balls right at him. I mean, but look at this. Boom. It's no wonder that people have. I mean, you can get CTE from just a sack to the head. Well, it's Santa's sack, so well, you know, it's a little it's fluffier than most. It's full. Yes. Speaking of full, uh, it comes out in the observer that Johnny Ace had a meeting with the company and he expressed no interest in leaving all Japan, according to Dave Meltzer, but he expressed interest in working dates in between tours. What do you remember about meeting with Johnny Ace here in late 1997? Uh, he came in in between tours, wanting to see if there was something for him. He wanted to, he didn't want to go back to Japan. Um, he wanted to work in the States and he was tired of making those trips back and forth to Japan. So he was seeing if there was something there on a full-time basis with us. There wasn't any interest at that time and it was a nice meeting and said, thank you very much. Maybe we'll see each other down the road. Maybe, maybe Johnny, you could get a job with WCW and help them out. If you're tired of going to Japan and after we buy them out, you can come to work for us. I like that idea. That's a good one, Vince. God, your arms are nice. China it was about that quick. China coming to the ring here, sporting both the European and the world titles. Looking like only she can look, baby. You put both the put both the titles up on them titties and get them on up there. Let everybody see them. There's your favorite shot there with the windshield wiper. Gotta love it. And there's what started the attitude era. Shawn Michaels pointing at his crotch in JR's face. That's attitude. So your main event here, folks, by God, former friends, now competitors going after one of the most coveted championships in all of, uh, Europia. Michael Cole going down. You got, you know, it's always funny when Michael Cole takes a bump. Would you agree? Um, no, why not? I, I, I like Michael Cole. Still funny when he takes a bump. I like him too. How about Shawn Michaels in a t-shirt now and a hat? Well, yeah, because he was wearing his good luck t-shirt from the China syndrome. 
And then when he realizes, wait a minute, Triple H is wearing a China Syndrome t-shirt too. There's, he smells there's something rotten in Lowell, Massachusetts. Hey, wait a minute. China got us both to wear her shirt. <laughs> That's a good segment. Bastard. So by God, Hunter's done with that. He's not going to wear that. Sean's not going to wear it. Go ahead. China, take yours off now. Do it. Well, she would years later. Oh, okay. Referee Earl Hebner. Doing the proverbial, uh, championship over his head. Uh, what'd My you think God. of the, uh, the green strap with the, uh, the red backing? It was a Christmas belt. Was it not? <laughs> yeah, it was, but I liked it because it was different. I liked the colored leathers. I thought that the each, each belt should have a different, different color myself. So here we go. It's your main event. The best wrestler in the world at this point, without question, Shawn Michaels. And, uh, the guy who was supposed to win the King of the ring a year prior, but now he is at least the 1997 King of the ring Hunter Hearst Helmsley. Let's see what happens in this very competitive, competitive and compelling bout. Well, if I was a uh, hunter, I think I'd warm up a little bit more here, but by God, no, it's Sean who has to get some words of advice from, from China on the outside of the ring, but not to be outdone. If I were you Hunter, there you go. Get that stretch in buddy. Go over and get you some words of advice from China too. That's what I'd do. I'm just saying. Nope, not yet. Nope, nope. Ain't gonna happen. Not just yet. Now all night long, if you see the guys standing up in the front row and poor Matt Miller is sitting there having to tell these guys to go sit down and move your damn ass and get out of the way. It's been very distracting throughout this show for me. I love that they're just circling and taking all the time they need and doing the old Ric Flair shoulder slaps. Oh, my God, that was a devastating lockup. One bounce, two bounce. Hunter's running the ropes. Three, almost cartoonish. He's high stepping. Four, five, six. God, the momentum seven, he's got now. If he splashes him, it's all over. Eight. Oh, my. Tell me that's not mocking the ultimate Hook the warrior. Leg. Hook the leg. Yes. Your new European champion, Hunter Hurst Helmsley. Chat me up. Him running the ropes over and over and then doing the splash. That's not mocking the Ultimate Warrior from 1996. No, it was mocking him per se, but it was a little overkill. So, yeah. Of course. Because, I mean, that's the, that stupid splash is how uh, Warrior beat Hunter. At WrestleMania 12. I'm going to tell you what, that fucking splash of warrior hurt. His warrior didn't know how to protect people on it. Yeah. He just legitimately fall on. He, yeah. He legitimately would crush you with all of his weight. And you see that uh, commissioner Sergeant slaughter, not happy with this fans were not happy just uh, a week prior to this. Of course, after this show was taped, but before it aired, they had well, here, the, well, hang on, hang on, hang on one second. The, the, this is the classic Cornette line where, where Cornette talks about, you know, Shawn Michaels cry, cries every time that he comes into the town in little mass referring to him losing his smile and, and so on and so forth and being able to cry on cue in this town. So that was my favorite part right here before Sergeant Slaughter just mutters under his breath that that's okay. Hunter next week, you'll face Owen Hart for that title. 
Don't do it on the PA so you can hear it, by God. But that was good shit. So I'm sorry I interrupted you. The riots were a week prior to this. Just wanted to remind you of that. Oh, okay. Well, there was no riot on this night, by God. You know, a lot of people were saying that uh, maybe the business was going too edgy and people were encouraging the heat with trash being thrown things like that. It got out of hand, you know, at really two shows, but little rock is the one everybody sort of circles and says was way, way worse. Uh, Memphis on the 14th, little rock on the 15th. We've talked about it before, uh, in, in the archives, but it's an interesting time to sort of go back and look at, because there is a shift here from the way business used to be to where it is now. And we're going to get edgy, but we don't want to be too edgy because we don't want to lose sponsors, but we're certainly trying to identify the line. And the line kept moving. Uh, you know, it, it just, it, it was one of those situations where, you know, what was good today was not good tomorrow. And what wasn't good yesterday is good today. So it, it, it just constantly was evolving and, People thought, you know, for so many years in the WWF, it was family entertainment. It was all Hulk, Hulk must pose. So at the end of every show, you had Hulk Hogan posing and little kids and everybody and families happy. And they, it wasn't a heat territory. Now, all of a sudden with the attitude era, we were looking to get heat. And there was a segment of the audience that was families and those, those people that wanted to go out and have, you know, their family entertainment. And then there was a segment of the audience that wanted to come and, and be a part of it. And, you know, fuck you, Shawn Michaels and throw shit. And you got old fashioned heat and old fashioned heat. Wasn't something that was really acceptable in 1997 anymore. While some people thought, you know, hell, hey, it's great. People are throwing shit. People are, are mad. It's not great when you've got kids there and people are throwing things. They miss their intended target and hit a kid. So I hate about guys going out and doing um, spots into the railings and things like that. When you've got little kids sitting in front row, they don't know to get out of the way. They don't know that this steel structure is is coming into their face. So. If the business changes and, and sometimes in the metamorphosis, you make mistakes and shit happens. Well, shit does happen. And hopefully some shit is going to happen next week because we're doing something a little different. Um, we're going back to the polls now next week. That's not what you're going to get. Instead, we're going to cover when Mrs. Foley's baby boy won the world title. And the week after that, we're going to cover an old Saturday night's main event with Hulk Hogan and King Kong Bundy. But the week after that is going to be your poll winner. The only place to vote on the poll is on Twitter. It's live. By the time you're hearing this Friday at noon, it's at Pritchard show. And, uh, this should be fun. I've got two topics and I'm going to let you pick the other two. We're going to do Royal rumble themed. I'm going to go get us started with the 20 year anniversary of Royal rumble, 1999. Uh, I think everybody knows who's going to win that one. Uh, it, it, I mean, maybe you don't Vince fucking McMahon wins the Royal rumble. 
It's also when we had the I quit match, which we've covered very briefly on the beyond the mat episode with the rock and mankind. We've got Sable and Luna Vachon. We've got X pocket getting grill big boss man and road dog shamrock and Billy Gunn. It's a, it's a loaded card, but the idea that Vince McMahon is in the Royal rumble, man, Royal rumble 99 was something else. Wasn't it Bruce? Yeah, it was. And boy, I have some very uh, definitive comments on, on that, on that particular matchup with Vince in the Royal rumble. So maybe we should get our deal for the network before, if anybody picks that, well, that could be scary. Let's go to poll topic. Number two, Royal rumble, 2004. It's going to be a 15 year anniversary. Why not cover it? The winner of that one. Mr. Chris Benoit, we get lots of requests. When are you going to talk about Chris Benoit? Well, we won't be able to help, but talk about him here. Uh, also underneath that, a last man standing match with Shawn Michaels and triple H. We've got hardcore Holly with Brock Lesnar. Everybody remembers how we got there. We've got Eddie working with Chavo. We've got Ray Mysterio working with Jamie Noble. We've got Batista and Ric Flair taking on the Dudley boys. What do you remember about Royal rumble 2004? Well, that was coming out party for Chris Benoit. And that was the moment where Vince had decided, all right, let's, let's reward hard work. And let's see if this is actually going to work. See if he can actually draw, see if people care. And that was a big, that was a big movement at that time to the workers and, and some of the guys that I guess people thought had been passed over in many years. So it's an interesting one. Let's get another one here. How about Royal rumble 1989? This is one you picked and I know you picked it because it happened in your hometown of Houston, Texas. Uh, on top, we've got big John stud winning the Royal rumble. We've also got King Haku working with Harley race, rockin Robin working with Judy Martin, Jim Duggan and the heart foundation working with Dino Bravo and the fabulous Rougeos. But what I remember most about this isn't even a match. It's the super pose pose down. down. <laughs> yeah. What might we talk about if Royal Rumble 1989 wins the poll? Oh my God. The vision, the vision of what Vince saw with big John stud is a baby face and God, look at him. He's so strong and ultimate warrior. No selling the baby oil in the face and rude being absolutely livid, but, uh, in the beautiful summit in Houston, Texas. So it's gotta be good. Cause it's from Houston, right? Last, but certainly not least, I can't believe this is a real thing. We've already covered Royal rumble 94. So we're going to go back and throw up Royal rumble, 1993 on the pole. Yokozuna is going to win that Royal rumble underneath. We've got Bret Hart defending his title against razor Ramon, Bam Bam Bigelow working with big boss man, Sean Michaels working with Marty Jannetty. And then we've got the Steiner brothers in there with the Beverly brothers. What might we talk about if. Maybe a, a sleeper episode here. Royal Rumble 1993 wins the poll. Well, 93 was the year that changed everything, where we changed the entire concept of the Royal Rumble with the winner going on to face the champion at WrestleMania. And it was, you know, kind of at that time, a dawn of a new era because there was no Hulk Hogan. So it was, it was an interesting time. Things were changing. And some of the ideas that we had, man, we can even go back a few months to some of the crazy ideas that Pat and I had regarding Scott Steiner and 
the whole nine yards. So, um, 93 is a good year. That's one of my favorites because it was, it was so different. And a lot of the changes we implemented have stuck for all these years later. Chat me up. What would you rather us talk about next week? 99, 04, 89, or 93? If I was voting, I'd vote for 99. Okay. You know what? I'm going to go to Twitter and vote. Well, do it right now at Pritchard show. And as a reminder, it's not going to air until the second episode of January. Next week is Mrs. Foley's baby boy winning the world title. And we know that's going to happen at the very end of 1998. And then the following week, really kicking it old school. We've got King Kong Bundy in there with Hulk Hogan on the Saturday night's main event. Don't you dare miss it. But then after that, what Royal rumble is it going to be? We'll see you soon. We'll see you next week right here on something to wrestle with. Well, hang on, Conrad. We have to wish everyone a very Merry Christmas. I hope everybody has a great Merry Christmas with your family, with your loved ones. Happy Hanukkah, which has already started, been into, and all that good shit. It's over. But Merry Christmas. What? What do you mean? It's already, we're already into it. It's over. Hanukkah's over. You missed it. Oh, it's over? Yeah. Oh, damn. Well, I hope everybody had a happy Hanukkah. I'm not a happy holidays guy, but happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Hug the ones you love and tell them you love them, man, before it's too late. Just, you know, have a great, have a great Christmas. Have a great holiday season. Be safe and be happy. And Shaka we love Khan. you. Shaka Khan. Shaka Khan. No, I'm doing it now. It's my thing. Okay. If you Fine. get to say the final word, then I, Shaka Khan. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.